You are listening to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, with your host, Randy Sutton. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement on the America Out Loud Network. I'm your host, Randy Sutton, 34-year police veteran, author of A Cop's Life and the founder of The Wounded Blue, national assistance and support organization for injured and disabled law enforcement officers. Thanks so much for joining me again. We have a great show for you. There is a a guest that uh, is going to illuminate to you some absolutely incredible uh, information that you really want to know. He's waiting for us in the interview room. But before we do that, let's take a walk into the briefing room where I'm going to give you my view from the blue. So all we've been hearing lately is defund the police. The police are racist, murderers. They are. Uh, they, they need to be abolished. They need to be disbanded. Blah, 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 blah. And yet, if you actually look into some local newspapers and some local news, you would find some quite different, uh, shall we say, narratives about what cops do and who they are. Let me read you just a couple. Atlanta cop gifts own car to mother of five. Quote, I'm always trying to find different ways I can give and help people, said Officer Campbell. An Atlanta police officer went above and beyond the call of duty last week when she gave up her own car to a mother of five. Officer Veronica Campbell, a 27-year veteran of Atlanta, Atlanta PD, takes commitment to her community very seriously. And uh, she goes on to say that she had a vehicle and she uh, knew that this woman, who was a mother of five, had recently had a domestic abuse situation and had everything basically taken away from her. And knew that she needed this car and gave it to her. Gave it to her. This is, the, this is a, an, another instance of the compassion and empathy and generosity and, and just goodness that cops are doing all over the country. Acts of compassion and kindness. Ones that you'll never hear about because we have to defund the police. You know that. They're all a bunch of racist killers. And then there's another one. Video out of Illinois. Law enforcement officers rescue a man from a burning home. Body cam video shows the officers sprinting towards the flames and pushing their way inside the home in Springfield, Illinois. According to the news report, the officers were the first on the scene of a house fire. Immediately sprang into action. Quote, a lady yelling to us that there was someone inside the house, one of the officers said. And uh, body cam video shows that the two officers sprinted towards the flames, pushed their way inside the house, ran up, kicked the door, found the victim, and was able to save that victim's life. They're not firemen, okay? There's no protective equipment. They just they just put their own lives in jeopardy to save another human being. And yet, uh, that was on like page twenty three, you know, of the of the local newspaper. Just a couple days ago, another two officers uh, did the same thing. They ran into a burning building to try and save a man who they they knew was in there. By the time they got there, unfortunately, he was already dead. But they risked their lives. They crawled across the floor to try and get 
as much air as possible as they tried to rescue this man and dragged him down the stairs, literally crawling to the, to the uh, front door to get out of the house before the smoke overcame them. This is happening all over America, my friends. All over America. Cops are, are, are saving lives. They are taking, uh, they're taking their, their, um, their hearts and their minds and they are using it for the, for the people that they serve. So when I, when I read and I hear about these people who are screaming to defund the police and that the police are racist killers and they have to, we have to abolish them, uh, it's just outrageous to me. Like Colin Kaepernick. That guy is a turd. That's the only word I can use for him. Colin Kaepernick calls for abolishing the police, quote, a future without the terror of policing and prisons. This article was written by Kaepernick Publishing Series. Kaepernick Publishing Series. Colin Kaepernick, a failed football football player whose, whose claim to fame is kneeling for the national anthem. That's what he has contributed to this country, my friends. And um, somehow he has become the authority on policing and his pronouncement that that the the police must be abolished. You know, listen, on the face of it, that's just so freaking stupid. Colin Kaepernick's an idiot, okay? He's an idiot. And anybody that pays him any attention and gives him some some type of legitimacy is just as stupid as he is. And yet we have corporate America reigning millions of dollars on on uh, upon him, giving him a publishing company and a Netflix series. And for what? For what? Because he's a moron and he calls for abolishing the police because he's got a political agenda? His political agenda will, will cost the lives of untold numbers of people if he gets his way. And the fact that people fawn over him, that celebrities fawn over him in the media and they and they they look adoringly at him and they throw the microphone in his face as if he's actually got something legitimate to say on the face of it who who can actually who can actually look at the 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 uh statement let's abolish the police and prisons and actually take it seriously nobody well let me put it this way Nobody that's got half a brain, nobody that's actually contributed anything to society, nobody that actually has any real-world experience, the only people that can actually take it seriously are these deluded little couch potatoes that they climb out of the basement after playing video games where they live with their parents, don't, don't have a job, and then don their, um, their, their little black masks and and gas masks and go out uh, in mobs to attack law enforcement and to, and, to, and to graffiti buildings and the media who legitimize him by reprinting 
his moronic statements. Well, Colin, when was the last time you ran into a burning building and saved somebody? When was the last time you gave up something that was yours to a, someone who was needy? And I guarantee you, the woman in Atlanta, the woman police officer who gave up her car, isn't making millions of dollars like this punk. She's probably making $75,000, $65,000 at the most and is willing to give her car up. Yeah, okay, Colin, you're a real hero. You're a real hero. One of my favorite topics to talk about is uh, activist prosecutors. Those people who have been elected to positions where they swear an oath to protect the people of their communities by prosecuting criminals. Well, that's kind of uh, become a different challenge these days because now we have seen this phenomenon over the last five or six years of activist prosecutors. They're not activists in the way that you and I would think, that is, an activist in protecting the public from the criminals. No, they're activists in protecting the criminals from the criminal justice system. That which they are the chief law enforcement officer in the county for. So you have Kim Gardner. That's the one I'm going to talk about now. Kim Gardner is probably one of the worst. She is, um, first of all, she's incompetent as a, as a district attorney. She's inept. She, her, her record of uh, actually prosecuting people is uh, is so dismal. It's anybody that is actually a criminal in the St. Louis area, um, they do a they do like a, a rain dance to the gods of criminals, thanking them for having an idiot like Kim Gardner as the uh, as a district attorney, because she she uh, actively pursues a uh, an agenda of coddling criminals, dropping criminal charges. Um, she won't, she won't um, prosecute any of the rioters that did so much damage. And, uh, but here's what she will do. She will um, impanel a grand jury and, and, and uh, cause an indictment of that couple in St. Louis who actually had the audacity to defend their own home from the Antifa punks and, and Black Lives Matter uh, um, gangsters who were destroying property and then attacked their private, um, their private neighborhood, threatening to kill them and shoot them and sexually assault them. And because they had the nerve to actually defend themselves by arming themselves and telling them to get off their property, it's not the criminals that that Kim Gardner will indict. No, she drops the charges against all of them, and she moves to indict the two, the couple who live there, two attorneys who who are very well aware of the law, and not only that, but in in just one of the most bizarre situations, um, the husband had a had a long gun, the wife had a pistol, a revolver. Or I believe a pistol, and uh, and 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 it, it was non-functioning. It was it was a prop. It was a non-functioning weapon because the firing pin had purposely been 
um, installed incorrectly so that it wouldn't fire. Well, when Kim Gardner decided to prosecute these people, she had the lab, the crime lab, fix the gun. Yeah, fix it. You know, um, take it apart and make it so that it worked so that she could indict these people. It is absolutely unconscionable. It is, it is, why she is not being prosecuted for malfeasance in office is beyond me. The agenda, the political agenda, the racist agenda of this woman is beyond the scope of understanding. And yet she's the person in power in the St. Louis area for prosecuting crimes. By the way, her, uh, her claim to fame is she uh, moved to indict the last governor of the state on uh, charges that he took naked pictures of his girlfriend or wife, I don't know, some, some person he has involved in a relationship with. Well, it turns out that the investigator that she hired has just been indicted for perjury in that case because uh, of what she created. Let's hope that that private investigator gives the state's evidence and, uh, and Kim Gardner walks out of her office in handcuffs, which is exactly the way it should be. Well, this is, uh, this is what's happening across America. Instead of, instead of prosecutors and district attorneys taking their solemn oath seriously, working to make the communities that they are allegedly serving safer, They are destroying the criminal justice system from within. It's a rot from within. They are the true Trojan horses of the modern era in the law enforcement world. And we're seeing the consequences of that playing out all over the country with massive increases in crime in New York and San Francisco and Los Angeles and Minneapolis and Portland and Seattle, where where these district attorneys exist. I hope that uh, I hope that the people who elect these people into office finally get to see the reality. I just hope that they don't become the next victim and make it happen. That's about all the time we have today in the uh, briefing room. Fantastic guests waiting for us in the interview room, and uh, I know you're going to want to hear what he has to say. I know we were a little disappointed because we've had to push back the Brothers in Blue Bash for a few months because of the COVID insanity. Now, on October 17th, we are still going to have a virtual Brothers in Blue Bash, kind of like a tease, and we're going to raise some money. We're going to have some tremendous auction items. So uh, stay listening to uh, this and go to the Facebook page, Brothers in Blue Bash Las Vegas and get the information there. Now, March 27th, that is a Saturday night here in Las Vegas. The Brothers in Blue Bash, which is going to be the largest celebration of law enforcement, unity, and pride to benefit the Wounded Blue. It's going to be right here in Las Vegas. Got some tremendous, tremendous entertainment lined up for you. There's going to be a, a, it's going to be a, an event to remember. Fantastic hotel room 
uh, prices at the Orleans, just go to the Brothers in Blue Bash uh, Facebook page and you can uh, make your um, make your reservations there. You can get a table, you can get seats, you can sponsor, all kinds of things. Check it out. Facebook page, Brothers in Blue Bash, Las Vegas. I don't know about you, but if you love coffee, you're going to love Law Dog Coffee. Law Dog Coffee Company. Yes, indeedy. This is amazing coffee. It's been uh, in the family of uh, uh, brewers for 90 years, but this particular brand is is uh, created just for us. So if you love coffee, you're going to love Law Dog Coffee, especially because not only is it phenomenal coffee, it's, it's uh, uh, roasted in a, in a family-owned roasting company. It's been around for 90 years, and it is delicious, but it also goes to help the uh, the company law dog coffee company gives a percentage of its income to the woundedblue.org in fact they sponsor the canine companion program for the wounded blue so go to lawdogcoffee.com it gets delivered directly to your house it is phenomenal and it tastes so good it ought to be illegal America's cities and claims of racism in the ranks of law enforcement have spirited a renewed debate on racial equality. It was Alexis de Tocqueville who reminded us Americans are so enamored of equality, they would rather be equal in slavery than unequal in freedom. To which I say, be warned of the shiny object, America. AmericaOutloud.com is the voice of liberty and justice for all. Well, it's a fight for the soul of humanity. Think back to the last time you felt healthy and energized. The best times of our lives occur when we're at the peak of our health, sleeping better, full of energy and focus. We know that fades with age, and you might be feeling the effects of aging as low energy and poor sleep. But it doesn't have to be that way. There haven't been any nutrition systems designed to rejuvenate our bodies as we get older, until now. Healthy Cell Pro is the only multinutrient system that impacts the building block of your body, the cell. Created by anti-aging expert and Nobel Prize nominee, Dr. Vincent Giampapa. Award-winning Healthy Cell Pro cuts through the complexity of nutrition supplements by simply giving you the purest ingredients, filling dietary gaps to nourish your cells and enhance your quality of life for optimal performance. Visit HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for an exclusive discount or call 844-869-9958. With me today in the interview room Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, is the president of the Indianapolis Fraternal Order of Police, Rick Snyder. Rick is with me today because there is a situation taking place in Indianapolis that unfortunately is being repeated across the country. But there is, uh, there is some trouble brewing right now in Indianapolis. Rick, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thanks for having us. So let's talk about, first of all, let's talk about Indianapolis PD. Metropolitan Police Department. Just give a little, um, how big is the agency? 
Yeah, thanks for asking. The, the IMPD, Indianapolis Metropolitan Police Department, has right about 1,700 officers. Uh, we're a little unique. We have a, uh, a uh, consolidated police department. So our county is the city, our city is the county. So we actually have a patrol area of about 372 square miles. That's a big police department. That's um, you're, you're you're in the you're in the top largest uh, one of the top largest cities of the of the country. Yes, sir. You're the Fraternal Order of Police President. You're the uh, you're you're basically the union president. You represent the rank and file of the agency. Yeah, our our Indianapolis FOP uh, represents uh, IMPD is our is our biggest biggest membership base. Uh, but we represent about 10 different law enforcement agencies on both the uh, le- local and state level, as well as, as several uh, of our uh, locally um, assigned uh, federal officers with the Postal Inspector's Office and Homeland Security. And so we have a, a little over 3,000 active and retired members in our, our, uh, our FOP. That's a, that's a big union, but we're really talking about – the, uh, the Indianapolis Metro Police today. There's a situation that um, uh, you've been very vocal about, and it re- it's regarding, uh, it basically, a, it seems to me like a power play against the administration of the police department, the chief and administration, when it comes down to policy and discipline. And uh, you've been very vocal about this. Can you tell us what's going on there? Yeah, so we recently, uh, coming out of the summer, had uh, some of our uh, counselors. Again, we have a city-county council. So on uh, our council, we have 25 different counselors uh, that serve in that body. And two of our counselors introduced a proposal uh, to create what they call a general orders board. And the nature of the proposal uh, was to strip the authority of the chief of police to be able to establish policy for the police department and place that into the hands of a new board. That board would have law enforcement representation, but it would only be three of the seven members. The remaining four members, which would be a controlling majority, would be appointed civilians uh, that would be politically appointed to that board. And what's unique about the proposal is that it clearly um, outlines that this board would have the ability uh, to create and amend uh, policy, so they could create new policy uh, as well as amend our existing policies for the police department. And the chief of police, he or she then are obligated uh, to fulfill those policies, and and actually uh, has no control over uh, what the policies are going to be, which is uh, rather unique for us. Our chief of police has always had that authority. Uh, we did have what was called a general orders committee, but. What that was, was to allow the rank and file officers, quite frankly, the subject matter experts, the practitioners of the policies that are uh, prescribed, to be able to provide feedback, suggestions, uh, identify when they saw a new policy that may conflict with existing policy, things such as that. So quality control, if you will. Um, But this proposal uh, really goes in a radical different direction, which is putting it into the hands of civilians, which we're not opposed to having civilian involvement. Uh, in fact, we have said publicly we welcome it. Uh, we welcome uh, the perspective of civilians at a table that may help us see things that, quite frankly, we're not seeing because we're so focused on um, the practice and carrying out what the policy may be. 
Uh, however, this would actually strip that authority away from the chief and put it into the hands of the civilians uh, who lack the expertise of local, state, and federal laws, um, as well as the other policies that we are required to follow within the police department. Well, I find this really disturbing. Um, we've, seen, we've seen so much um, social change, if you will, um, protests, unrest, violence, and your city has seen a little bit of that uh, as well. So when you think about how the men and women who are actually on the line and facing the dangers every single day, um, and then you, you consider that based on political whim, uh, the entire policies and procedures of the police department could be altered in ways that could be really damaging to the lives of your officers. Um, how has the, uh, how has the, the unrest been in Indianapolis? Well, to your point, we, we really experienced more than just a small amount um, of civil unrest. We actually had uh, two back-to-back -back nights in May of this year in which our entire downtown Indianapolis, which quite frankly, if you've been to Indianapolis, is the crown jewel of our city. Uh, we've, we, we are well recognized for conventions, tourism, and the accessibility of our downtown area. It is, it is world-class. Uh, in two nights, um, our entire downtown was destroyed in violent riots. Uh, we had over 100 businesses that were damaged or destroyed. Uh, we had four people who were shot during that time, two of which lost their lives. Um, our officers were under, uh, for really about 10 constant hours, um, uh, under uh, gunfire, consistent gunfire. We have uh, <clears throat> publicly accessible videos on YouTube and other places where you can clearly see uh, various folks armed with long guns and, and semi-automatic rifles uh, laying down fire down the streets of Indianapolis at our officers as they were progressing and trying to disperse the unlawful assembly and the violent riotous crowd. Uh, it really it was radio traffic that I've never heard in my life, anything like it. Um, and one thing that was made clear and convincing was that our officers on what's called our emergency response group, our ERG, um, on the first night was was not allowed to carry out their plans to maintain order and prevent peaceful protesters uh, from turning into a uh, unlawful assembly in a, in a violent riot. And as a result, we went through two back-to-back -back nights of that violence. Uh, again, our city was handed over uh, unnecessarily. Um, additional resources that we actually had available to us from the Indiana State Police, the Indiana National Guard, and the ability to establish a uh, curfew um, were all disregarded by our political establishment, our elected leaders. And as a result, our, our officers were hamstrung. And again, the downtown Indianapolis area was turned over to this violent crowd. And it was all completely unnecessary. Uh, yet here we stand. And, uh, and now on the heels of that, it's, it's been presented that as though because of the messages that were sent in those violent riots, we now have these agenda-driven um, proposals uh, that are being outlaid by the same political leaders that abdicated our city um, uh, throughout the summer. 
So the same thing that happened in Minneapolis with, the, with basically the, uh, um, the surrender of the law enforcement mission to violent offenders, same thing that's happened in Portland for uh, more than three months now, the same thing that's happened in many cities across the United States happened in Indianapolis as well. Uh, without a doubt, you know, and it's what we saw in many of our major cities across the country. And Randy, you may not be aware, but back in December of 2019, presidents from the various major cities throughout the country, um, FOP presidents, um, were invited to a collective meeting at the White House in which we had uh, conversations uh, with the president directly uh, where we outlined our concerns about what was occurring in our communities and what we were seeing in our broken system of criminal justice, where we have these revolving doors uh, of criminal justice where repeat convicted, uh, violent convicted offenders are constantly uh, cycled back out into our neighborhoods. And when we were able to outline it's destroying the trust and respect that our residents have for our officers because you know, people forget police officers are our most visible representation of government. And therefore, uh, civilians, citizens of those governments uh, take their frustrations out on our officers uh, because you can dial us up, we'll respond, and you can take your aggressions out on us. And that's why it's so vitally important that our women and men in law enforcement have the full support, the resources, and the tools at their disposal to be able to effectively protect our communities and provide the level of service that our residents expect. Instead, we've had political uh, politicians who come in and hijack um, uh, the ability to provide that protection and service uh, to serve their own political agendas. And as a result, it's our residents who suffer. It's our officers who suffer. And at a time when we're talking about various lives mattering, it's the most marginalized folks in our communities that are the most affected. They are the ones who need our law enforcement officers the most. And so I'm sure, uh, like in many other cities, uh, they are experiencing what Indianapolis has experienced, which is uh, folks in our neighborhoods um, telling us uh, to stay, to keep going, don't back off, don't let the politicians keep us from doing our jobs, because they know what's at stake. And I consistently remind folks, it's our residents and our officers who actually have the most in common. We're the only ones in the neighborhoods 24 hours a day. It's not these politicians. It's not the political agenda groups. It's the residents and the officers. And instead, we allow these folks uh, with agendas to come in and drive a wedge between the residents and the officers. They get them to point fingers at one another. And then they leverage that discontent, that discord, that strife in the community to quickly uh, facilitate uh, pretty radical agendas, such as defunding the police. And one of the things that I said when we stepped out of the West Wing back in December of 2019, was that we were on the cusp of seeing this massive approach of decriminalizing the criminals at the same time we're depolicing the police. And as I said then, I believe now, it's a recipe for disaster. And we're now seeing those outcomes. And uh, and, and then when you see that, um, that uh, the message that's coming out of, again, not peaceful protests, but violent riots being translated into public policy, um, such as stripping the authority away from a chief of police over the policy for a police department, 
It's very concerning. Here's the additional step that really raised the alarm bells. The question was asked, is there any restrictions or prohibitions for the civilians that would be on this board overseeing police policy related to any prior criminal convictions? And Randy, do you know what the answer was? No, which means that people with criminal convictions, including felonies, can have a controlling majority to create and oversee and amend existing police policy and create new police policy. Um, and, 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 and the policy, the proposal is very specific. It is to oversee how criminal investigations are done and how arrests are made. And so, as I said before our council, we're literally putting forward a proposal that places convicts over cops and uh, it's a recipe for disaster. But this is what's going on, not only in our city, but in cities across the country. I just happen to believe that in Indianapolis, they're taking a slightly different approach rather than just coming out and defunding the police first they're going to hijack the policymaking capabilities and then walk backwards from there to achieve the, uh, the agendas that, uh, that some uh, politicians and other agenda-driven groups have. You know, we saw something uh, very disturbing in Seattle with the uh, mayor there hiring a convicted sex trafficker as an expert to um, help make policy for the city regarding policing. And when confronted with it, the, uh, the city council and the mayor defended it. And basically, uh, when, I, when I saw some of the glowing remarks that they made about this guy who literally trafficked children, um, they, they somehow seemed to uh, imbue themselves with this, uh, this mannerism where they actually seem to believe that they are doing something that is going to benefit the community when it's just the opposite. It seems like it's some delusional approach, but it's really a power play. Isn't that really what it comes down to? Well, I mean, I always say actions over words, right? And you look at the, the actions that are being taken when the issue was raised about folks with criminal convictions overseeing policy for the police department and not allowing the chief of police to do that. And the fact that it was raised that it could be felons, convicted felons creating policy for the department. We had a city county counselor that said, well, well why not? You could have somebody that simply has a a felony drug conviction, and that shouldn't uh, restrict them from being able to participate in this. I mean, as, and if that wasn't crazy enough, the proposal not only says we'll allow convicted felons to oversee the policy, but it takes the additional step, once again, demonstrating a, uh, a hostility toward law enforcement, and it clearly restricts not only any active officer, but any retired law enforcement officer and any family member of any law enforcement officer from being able to participate on this board. Now, here's the issue with that. It could be you have a family member who's an officer anywhere else in the country. It's not just the city of Indianapolis. And so you could have a female who's lived in her life or in, the, in Indianapolis her entire life who uh, may by circumstance have a brother that's a police officer in California and she wouldn't be able to participate on this board that oversees the number one priority for any government, which is the safety of the community. I think it's discriminatory. 
It makes law enforcement officers, especially those who have faithfully served their communities and retired, but also their families, second-class citizens within their own city. Yet it elevates folks who have made bad, poor choices in their, in their lives, sustained criminal convictions. It allows them to participate and actually create the policy. Now, again, I, I'm very fair-minded in this, and, and we know anyone who's been in law enforcement, folks can make bad decisions, uh, uh, suffer consequences for that, turn their lives around and move forward and be productive citizens. But it still doesn't necessarily mean they should be overseeing the policies for the police department. We have other public boards like a, the school board for our Indianapolis public schools. They don't allow convicted felons to serve on that. Airport authority boards, other governmental boards, they don't allow that. Why on earth would you then specifically allow it to oversee the policies for any law enforcement agency? It's like I've said before, it's like being in the twilight zone. I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's basically they're targeting law enforcement for discriminatory action. The, uh, well, I mean, what, and what you've just said about the, the fact that, that uh, even if you're a relative of a law enforcement officer, you're precluded from joining this. Um, it really shows a, um, an approach that is, that is pretty transparent. Uh, and that is, this is part of the war on cops. That's well, really, and I, I, really what, what I fear is, is that, um, you know, one of the things that the, the, the sponsors of this proposal have said publicly is there's no other agency in the country that is taking this approach. Well, no kidding. But if this passes and gets imp- implemented in a city like Indianapolis, Indiana, uh, you can bet it will start being uh, done in other cities. And here's the thing in Indianapolis, again, context. Um, we, it isn't like we're without civilian oversight. We have a civilian police merit board. That's a check and balance on the chief of police on disciplinary actions, but promotion, hiring, all those kinds of things. We also have a a civilian citizens police complaint board. Uh, and, um, and we also have great participation from our neighborhood associations in an advisory capacity, but this is well above and beyond that. And again, allows, uh, uh, other folks who are not involved in law enforcement to actually create the policy. I've said this to neighborhood groups. Listen, this would be like uh, a pilot getting on a plane and asking the passengers to provide him direction on how to fly the plane. Uh, That does not happen. The pilot may want to know what their perspective is or how they enjoyed their flight or any concerns they had, but he's not going to ask them when he should raise or lower the flaps. But this is exactly what we're talking about doing in a police department. Um, and again, it's like being in the twilight zone and you have to go back and ask the question why. And here's what's interesting. They held a press conference to announce this proposal. In that, they allowed a gentleman to speak about the proposal. And do you know what he talked about? He didn't talk about civilian oversight. He actually said this proposal does not go far enough and it is only the first step. And then he went into a whole tirade about defunding the police. Well, here again, we see what is really behind all of this. And uh, what's very concerning is it wasn't just some random citizen that was saying defund the police. We're told that he's actually the vice chair of the local Democratic Party, of which uh, that party has majority control, a supermajority control, on the very council that's making this proposal. Wow. So it's very concerning. As our residents learn about it, they knew nothing about it. 
as they're learning about it, uh, they are uh, beside themselves. Um, and we're in a city, our current chief of police is one of the few remaining black law enforcement executives over a major city police department in the country. And I've said this, I represent a wide diverse range of uh, various backgrounds of officers on our police department. So I take it very seriously. Uh, the, the, you know, officers who are black, white, Latino, Asian, uh, gay, straight, um, various religions, the whole capacity, I represent them all. And it bothers me to see politically um, elected folks who are supposed to be leaders um, who are openly and aggressively delegitimizing and stripping the authority, not only of a chief of police, but a black law enforcement executive in another major city in our country. And we've seen black law enforcement executives across the country stepping down in mass. We saw it in Seattle. We've seen it in Dallas. We've seen it in Rochester. And now we see it being an open attack here in Indianapolis. I think it's misguided, it's short-sighted. And uh, again, many of the very folks that these agenda-driven groups are saying they're trying to help, uh, they are the folks, especially residents, folks of color in our, in our neighborhoods, they are the ones saying, don't do this. And we support our police and we support our chief of police. I, this is uh, this is worse than I thought. I, I had um, I had heard about what you guys were facing, but I didn't realize all the nuances here. You know, if you go back to the nights of your violence, where your officers were were under constant gunfire, um, it's combat is truly what it is, and yet it's not recognized as that. In fact, basically, your officers were staked out like tethered goats not allowed to even defend themselves properly in a deadly force situation. So, well, yeah, that's exactly right. And we, and we had a situation with the riots where uh, because of, again, politicians trying to drive uh, policing decisions, they actually restricted our abilities to bring in additional officers to supplement the ones who were caught in the crossfire. Think about that. We had officers who were pinned down by gunfire yelling on the radio for help and politicians were preventing additional officers from being called in to assist. Now you couldn't have convinced me that that would be happening in any major city in America, yet it's happened in every major city across the country. Um, and then we see folks using that strife, that discord, that lawlessness to then drive public policy. Um, and, and again, I think what we're seeing now is the vast majority of folks who may have been intimidated or scared to speak out now stepping forward and saying, I don't support this. Uh, we've seen that. We've seen uh, nearly 63% of um, um, Black Americans respond and say they don't want to see their police departments defunded. Uh, again, because they know what's at stake. In Indianapolis, eight out of every 10 homicide victims are African-American. And we talk about this all the time. We are getting ready. We're actually on the cusp of breaking the all-time record for homicides in the city of Indianapolis right now. And we've got three more months left in the year. And 80% and of those victims are black. Yet the politicians, the very politicians that tell us what lives matter uh, don't want to talk about the black lives that are being destroyed by the violence in our communities. 
And uh, it's the police officers who understand that because we actually risk our lives day in and day out to prevent that from happening. And so I think, I think Americans, residents, uh, our fellow citizens, our neighbors, I think they're getting hip to what is going on. And uh, I'm hopeful that we will hear them starting to stand up and take control of this back uh, from some pretty extreme politicians uh, in our major cities. What we're seeing here is the perversion of the democratic process. The, the people who are supposed to um, have a, uh, a say in public policy are being drowned out, being ignored, as well as the people who are the experts, which is law enforcement, and, and, and the, the political elite, those who are cl- clearly agenda-driven in their anti-law enforcement uh, approach, they are taking the upper hand, they are in control, and they are subverting the very processes that we as a, as a, a nation um, utilize in order to defend the people of our communities. So when, you, when you're in a position um, where you can, you can bring this out, you can, you can be the, the, uh, uh, the person who tells the community what is really happening, because you're literally in the seat where you can, you can um, sound the alarm. But when you're, when you're doing it, what kind, of, what kind of pushback are you getting back from politicians? Well, you know, back in really over a year ago, when we were seeing this huge surge in violence in our community, uh, I stood on a corner in downtown Indianapolis with a trust, another trusted voice in our community, a faith leader uh, in our community. Um, and we sounded the alarm and we said, we are seeing a surge in violence, the likes of which we have never seen before. And we called for all hands on deck to help with this. And we actually reached out to our political leaders and said, let's get, the subject matter experts, the, 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 the residents in the neighborhoods, the judges, the prosecutors, everybody around the table and start taking a look at what were the contributing factors to this violence. Because what we said is we believe that people will see what our officers know, which is a significant component that's leading to this violence is this revolving door of criminal justice, where we are cycling repeat convicted offenders back out into the neighborhoods. Now, uh, again, various groups will say, well, uh, that's the police who want to, uh, who don't, who, who want to keep everybody locked up and uh, they want to they have high bonds for everyone, which disproportionately affects the poor. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. Uh, you, I always point this out. What affects, disproportionately affects the poor, disproportionately affects people of color, uh, is violence and crime. And that's what we're trying to address here is criminal behavior and having a system of accountability. And so we're not saying that no one uh, should be, um, you know, that, that everyone should have a high bond. What we're saying is perhaps if people have repeat criminal convictions, especially felony convictions, convictions for violence, and they're arrested for a new allegation, perhaps we should push pause and make sure a human being, a judge, actually reviews their case file and their history and makes a determination on their release. 
And then that judge is also accountable for that decision. Yet, interestingly enough, the political officials who we were calling upon to sit around the table and help solve this problem that play a role in this rejected the call to do that. They rejected the idea of getting people around the table, having public conversation, and addressing the problem. And instead, uh, since the very counselors that are making this proposal and showing support for uh, stripping authority away from the police chief, since they were elected just this past November in 2019, in our city we have had 842 people shot, 297 people stabbed, and 203 people killed in just 335 days. That's 1,139 people shot or stabbed in the city of Indianapolis. And we are only one major city experiencing this out of a host of multitudes. But when you take our rates of violence and adjust for our population differences, we are running a close second to the city of Chicago for non-fatal shootings and homicides. And no one is talking about it. And again, it's the law enforcement officers who know firsthand what is going on, who are speaking out about it. And when their representative groups draw attention to this, what do you see the politicians and other agenda-driven groups doing? They're calling for the abolition of those very groups. It, 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 again, it's like being in the twilight zone. Uh, you would think that people would say, perhaps we should take a look at that but they don't want to talk about their fellow neighbors being slaughtered in the streets of their city. The question we ask is why? And what we see, what we fear is that certain folks utilize that lawlessness and that violence to drive their own political agendas. And so that's why we've always said this must be about people, not politics. Well, we've, uh, we've run out of time, but I, I got to tell you, Rick, you, you're, um, your statements here today uh, are really, really eye-opening, uh, disturbing as hell. Once again, we're seeing a, a political machine that cares nothing about the lives of their citizens, nothing about the lives of their cops, but cares only about their own power. And uh, this is, I can, I can see that there's, there's a lot more to talk about, but we'll have to save that for another day. But I really appreciate you coming on to Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement and sounding the alarm about what's happening in Indianapolis. Yeah, thanks for the opportunity. And let's just all continue to pray for our women, men in law enforcement who keep standing that line. Uh, they are remarkable folks, and it's just a blessing to be able to stand amongst them and, and uh, provide a voice for them. Amen to that. One of the most important things that you can do as either a, a law enforcement officer or someone who supports law enforcement is to help injured and disabled officers. How? By simply going to this website, www.thewoundedblue.org. Thewoundedblue.org. And why should you do that? Well, first of all, because I founded the organization. Do you need any more than that, really? So this organization provides tremendous assistance and support to officers who've been injured either physically or emotionally in the line of duty. Uh, we have a phenomenal um, documentary film. If you go to Amazon.com and look at uh, The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. Also on uh, YouTube, if you go to our YouTube channel, Wounded Blue TV, 
check out our series, The Voices of the Blue. You want to do everything you can to help these men and women who sacrificed so much for their communities. Go to www.thewoundedblue.org. End of Watch with Randy Sutton. Each week here on Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement, we pay our respects to the men and women of the law enforcement profession who have made the ultimate sacrifice and given their lives in the line of duty. So far this year, we are over 200 American law enforcement officers who have made that ultimate sacrifice, and this week we have several more. The first is police officer Jacob Hancher of the Myrtle Beach Police Department in South Carolina. Police officer Jacob Hancher was shot and killed as he and other officers responded to a domestic incident at an apartment on 14th Avenue at about 10 p.m. A man opened fire on the officers, killing Officer Hancher and wounding a second officer. The subject was later found deceased a short time later. Officer Hancher had served with the Myrtle Beach Police for just one year. He is survived by his mother, father, stepmother, brother, three sisters, and grandparents. Police Officer Jacob Hancher, Myrtle Beach Police Department, South Carolina. End of Watch Saturday, October 3rd, 2020. The next, next is Detective Kevin Collins of the Pine Bluff Police Department in Arkansas. Detective Kevin Collins was shot and killed at about 12.05 p.m. as he and other detectives were conducting an ongoing investigation at a hotel on North Blake Street. He and another detective were shot as they arrived at the location. Two suspects were also wounded in the shootout and taken into custody. Detective Collins has served with the Pine Bluff Police for five years and was assigned to the Violent Crimes Unit. Detective Kevin Collins, Pine Bluff Police Department, Arkansas. End of Watch, Monday, October 5th, 2020. The next is Correctional Officer Donald Parker, Texas Department of Criminal Justice. Correctional Officer Donald Parker died after contracting COVID-19 during an outbreak among staff and inmates at the Neal Unit in Potter County, Texas. He had served with the Texas Department of Criminal Justice for nine years. Correctional Officer Donald E. Parker, Texas Department of Criminal Justice. End of Watch, Sunday, September 27th, 2020. And the last is Police Officer Aubrey Johnson of the Miami Police Department in Florida. Police Officer Aubrey Johnson died after suffering complications from an on-duty injury that occurred in a foot pursuit of a narcotic suspect on September 17, 2020. During the foot pursuit, Officer Johnson suffered a torn Achilles tendon. He was discharged from the hospital and began physical therapy. On October 1, 2020, he called a family member and stated he was not feeling well. The family member arrived at his home and found him unconscious. He was transported to Jackson North Medical Center, where he passed away as the result of a pulmonary embolism that developed as a result of that injury. He served the Miami, Beach, or Miami Police Department for four years, survived by his parents, both of whom had served with the Miami Police. Police Officer Aubrey Johnson, Miami Police Department, Florida. End of Watch, Thursday, October 1st, 2020. Each of these officers died in the line of duty, protecting and serving their communities. May they rest in peace. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement here on America Out Loud. I always appreciate hearing from you on Facebook at the voice of American law enforcement. You can also tweet me at LT Randy Sutton. 
And if you really want to help law enforcement, go to thewoundedblue.org. That's thewoundedblue.org. This is the organization that helps injured and disabled officers. Of course, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of officers injured in the recent unrest. You can help. Go to thewoundedblue.org. 